Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. But I'm going to read from a couple of Old Testament passages uh, to help set us up for what Peter is discussing here because what, when Peter now launches here into chapter 5 and into talking about elders, this is not coming out of the blue. Um, to some of us, it may seem to come out of the blue, um, but there is uh, what Peter's doing here is building on an established redemptive historical theme and expectation for everyone who knows the Old Testament. And, and sometimes, especially as American uh, conservative evangelicals, uh, we don't always know the Old Testament um, as well, and so sometimes some of this can catch us by surprise. But what Peter has been saying throughout this letter, but what he's saying specifically um, to us as the church about being ready uh, for, for suffering, being ready for this judgment ordeal that he talked about in chapter 4, and now talking to the elders fits perfectly with, uh, one, what he learned from Jesus, and we'll get into that, but also what he knew with regards to the Old Testament expectations. So uh, I'm going to read from a few verses in Ezekiel 9 uh, and a few verses uh, in Malachi, two books that I'm sure you read from this week in your devotional time, uh, as Ezekiel and Malachi tend to be some of the favorite books uh, for people. And if you're visiting, I am totally being sarcastic. I know that most people don't like to read Ezekiel uh, and Malachi, even though I personally love them. They're very exciting. All right, Ezekiel chapter 9. Now the glory of the God of Israel. Now he's talking about the Shekinah glory here. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare, and you shall, uh, you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Now over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3, by the way, Malachi 3, uh, the beginning verses here are often one of the readings that will be done during the Advent readings. Malachi 3, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? 
And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And now, if you would, to our primary text this morning for the sermon from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have given us these words through your apostle to encourage us to remain faithful, that in the midst of living as exiles who are called to embrace and to embody the hope of Jesus Christ in a hostile world, that these words themselves are given to us to strengthen us, especially as they are given to strengthen, to encourage, and to instruct your elders who represent you to your church. But Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us all ears to hear and all eyes to see, where it could be easy to think through what is being said from the perspective of it applying to the elders. Instead, may we see that all of this applies to everyone within this room who follow Jesus Christ by following that rule of Christ in his church through his elders. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Peter takes his discipleship experience with Jesus Christ, and he now takes that experience and he speaks to the elders who have a particular role in leading Christ's church, especially in leading Christ's church through the difficulties of following Christ in a hostile world, but also because as the leadership goes, so also typically does the church. This is the redemptive historical theme that Peter is picking up on as he has already told us that as God's people who live in the last days, who live in that final period of redemption where the only thing left to happen is for Jesus Christ to return in his second advent and fully introduce everything that he has already begun. 
that as we live in those latter days, we are told that the church will receive the judgment of God in Christ by being purified. That before the Lord brings a judgment to punish the ungodly and the worldly, he first brings a judgment that purifies his people. It is a judgment that is meant to make us more like Jesus Christ. He is the refiner's fire. He is the fuller's soap, as described in Malachi chapter 3. And his coming brings with it not only the gift of righteousness to those who receive him by faith, but it also brings with it a sanctification, where Christ is purifying us. He's getting us ready. What is he getting us ready for? He's getting us ready to live in the unmediated glory of God's presence forevermore. We read of that in Isaiah 65 at the beginning of the service for our Advent reading, that with with the first Advent in Christ and with the second Advent to come, what is going to be introduced in its fullness is living in this unmediated glory of God's presence. And you and I, in our sinful bodies and estates, we can't handle that. And so Christ grants us his righteousness as a gift. It is free. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We can't lose it. He gives us, he gifts us his righteousness. And then as he told us in John 10, he holds us in the palm of his hands, and then the Father holds us as he holds the hands of Christ who are holding us in the palms of his hands. Do you see how that works? But this process of purification, it is not always pleasant. It can be rather difficult, especially when God ordains for this purification to take place through suffering in Christ, along with Christ, like Christ. That's what he's been saying throughout this whole letter. That for Jesus Christ, who is our life, the path that he took as the first exile from the heavenly places is that he gave up glory for a time, and he came and he suffered. And he suffered for us. And that suffering was then, then led to his resurrection and glory. This is the path that God has for his son. This is the path that God has for you and me who are in Christ by faith. We participate in his sufferings in order that we will participate in his glory. The elders play a particular role, however, as we wait for this second advent of Jesus Christ to come. And that special role that the elders play is in constantly putting the suffering Savior who gave up glory for a time and humbled himself to the point of taking on flesh, becoming a servant, and dying, putting that Christ before his church. If you want to know what being an elder is all about, and by the way, I already told the elders, don't personalize anything I'm saying. 
It's always a danger, right? I am not pointing fingers at anybody. But if you want to understand what being an elder is in Christ's church, being an elder is this. Be ready to die. Be ready to be a slave. Be ready to be a servant. Be ready to make others more important than you. Be ready to tend and to care and to take care of. Be ready to know the sheep. Be ready to protect the sheep. Be ready to guard the sheep. Be ready to feed the sheep. The primary um, metaphor that Christ uses for himself and for every elder in his church since his earthly ministry, the primary uh, the example that he puts before us, this metaphor, is the shepherd. It is not king. It is not CEO. It is not president. All right? It is shepherd. Now, this is lost on us so often because we don't live even here in Dallas that at one time was way more rural than it is now. We don't live in a culture that's really aware of this relationship of shepherds and sheep. And many of us are completely, uh, or, or not completely, but lack a real understanding of the role of shepherds in the Bible. We sang multiple songs this morning that celebrate this privilege of angelic choirs coming and announcing the birth of this promised Savior. To whom do they announce it? To shepherds. Let me put it this way. If this were to happen today, the angelic choirs would come and talk to the garbage men. Now, if you're a garbage man, that's not to put you down. But we all know that the society in which we live, we're very grateful for the garbage men, right? We don't want our trash piling up, and we certainly don't want to be responsible to have to deal with it all the time. So we are thankful and we're grateful, but at the same time, when we think about, do I want to become a garbage man, the typical response is, ew, you have to be around smelly stuff. You have to be around, you know, stuff that's dirty. It's not clean. You have to deal with difficult situations. You may even have to deal with hazardous material. It can be a danger to yourself. It can be a danger to your health. All right, this is what being a shepherd was. Being a shepherd was a job in which, yes, people were grateful because everyone wanted to have sheep that they could purchase, especially in Israel, right? Because sheep had a dual purpose, right? One purpose, obviously, was to provide food. The other purpose was to do what? Provide sacrifice. So everyone was grateful for the shepherds. Everyone was grateful for the Levites, right? What did the Levites do? Well, they're the ones who did the cutting. They're the ones who did the bleeding. They dealt with the mess. The shepherds dealt with the mess. They dealt with sheep who typically were not very smart, who tended to get themselves into all kinds of problems, 
who tended, because they didn't have any natural defenses, found themselves constantly under threat from outside forces. And who was it that would stand between this helpless sheep and the wolf that was hungry, that, by the way, was merely carrying out his internal drives of he needs to eat, right? The wolf isn't wicked per se there. Who stands between the wolf and the sheep? The shepherd. Does the shepherd wait until he sees the wolf? No, he's proactive. They have plans. They come up with ways to try to naturally fortify the flock at different times and in different ways depending on the situations in which they find themselves. Are you seeing the picture? The picture is this, that Jesus Christ says, if you really want to understand who I am to my church, I am her shepherd. And as he has gone back to the heavenly places while we are waiting for his return in the second advent, what he tells us here is, though I am away, I give you little lowercase s shepherds that represent me to you. And what this means for being an elder is this. As you represent Christ, you, re- you, you represent him in a way that corresponds to how he presented himself in his first advent. He did not come as a king even though he was the, uh, I know, and, and we're in a Presbyterian worship, so I'm going to ask you to speak. He came as the king of kings. He didn't come as a king, though he was the king of kings. And if your idea of being an elder is that, okay, I know there's some problems, and I've got some answers. So if I can just get into this position of power and authority, then I'll get to start making the decisions that need to happen to fix everything. If that's what your idea of being an elder is, please don't ever accept a nomination if you get nominated. Because that's not the role. The role is to represent the Christ who humbled himself in giving up glory taking upon himself flesh, and becoming a servant even to the point of death. Where he dealt with difficult people, where he dealt with difficult situations, where he dealt with people who were on the brink of breaking because sin was, was pressing down on them so hard, while at the same time dealing with people who were so fortified against their sin that they were, uh, they were, they, they were unwilling to become broken by it. And he, and he was the one described in that second servant psalm in Isaiah 42 as the one who would not break a bruised reed. He is described as being gentle and lowly, even though he is exalted and transcendent. This is what being an elder is about, because this is what the people of God need 
This is what the people of God needed in the Old Testament. One of the Old Testament passages that I would have liked to read that we didn't was from Ezekiel 34. You see, the book of Ezekiel is talking about the second coming, or it talks about the coming of the Messiah, uh, which we know as being two comings, right, two advents, but it's presented as one in the book of Ezekiel. And with the coming of the Messiah, what is described is that there would be judgment on the house of God and then judgment on all the Gentile nations, and that the judgment within the house of God, where it starts, what Peter just said in chapter 4, began with the elders. Ezekiel 9, the glory cloud is to go out and to mark everyone that is repentant over the sin that exists. And then for those who were not, they were going to be judged. And we are told that the Lord, after giving this instruction, said, now begin with the elders. Why? Because in the history of Israel, just like there was a history of bad kings that led the nation into sin and idolatry, there, were also a hist- there was also a history of bad elders. And Ezekiel 34 it describes these elders for you, just in case you're curious. Well, what was a bad elder in Israel? Well, read Ezekiel 34. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness You have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill, a reference to idolatry. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And then you go later into Ezekiel 4, and where the Lord says, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places. I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. There is a history of bad shepherds which leads to scattered sheep. 
when the leadership is not doing what it is supposed to do, sheep will do what they will do because there's no one there to protect the sheep from themselves. There's no one there to help the sheep. There is no one there to feed the sheep, to guard the sheep, to tend to the sheep. And the result is the sheep become a prey. And the bad elders become wolves. Peter comes to a church that is suffering, that is struggling, and he's trying to help them understand that this is part of being in Christ. This is part of a share in his suffering in order that this is a part of his share in his glory. And he has just told the people of God, this is what you're experiencing. This is the purifying fire of the one who was promised, who came, and who is continuing to sanctify you as his people. And judgment that you are experiencing, that judgment that begins with the house of God, just as the Old Testament said, it is a judgment that starts with the elders. And so Peter, to encourage to exhort. And by the way, this word that he uses here is an emotionally charged word. I exhort, I encourage. It could be translated, I beg, I urge. And notice, he urges as one who considers himself a fellow elder. Now, this is remarkable. Peter was a disciple of Christ. Peter, who denied Christ three times. After that denial, when Christ met with him at the, at, at the lake shore, Christ said to Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. He's saying this to the one who denied him. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then tend my See, Peter understands that his identity is not a pope. I don't want to get into that. That was, that was October, right? Reformation service. Peter knows he's not a pope. What Peter does understand is that he is a representative of Christ. He has a special charge from Christ. He has a special ordination from Christ to represent Christ to his sheep. And what Peter here is reminding us is that when elders are established in the local congregations, you and I, like Peter, have a special ordination in which we represent Christ to his sheep. We don't, well, I'm gonna get, well I don't want to get ahead of myself. We tend the sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then tend my sheep. By the way, we're, we're, when G Jesus says this to Peter, to tend my sheep, it's the exact same Greek word that Peter uses to tell the local elders to shepherd the flock. See, Peter's just taking what he heard from Jesus, and he's passing it along. 
I'm pretty sure Paul said something about that in 2 Timothy 2, and you can look it up for yourself later. But Peter says, tend the sheep. And this tending, as he describes it here, it does bring with it this idea of ruling, this idea of oversight. But this rule and this oversight is not the rule and oversight that is marked by what Jesus referred to when he referred to Gentile leadership. Gentile leadership that lords over people, authority, instead of the way Jesus exercised authority, which was to make himself low in order to lift others high. Exhort the elders to shepherd the flock. Exercise oversight, he tells them, all right? So shepherding the flock includes exercising oversight, but this idea of oversight means taking care of, looking after. I would say that one of the closest metaphors to this is mothering. Now, we don't often think of nurturing as being something that men exercise, but without being able to go into it, the very first thing that Adam is told in the garden that he is supposed to do is that he is supposed to be the nurturer. We don't have time for that right now. The shepherds nurture the sheep. Elders nurture Christ's people. But not under compulsion. But intentionally. You exercise oversight on behalf of Christ, being a nurturer of God's people, not because, well, I'm an elder and this is what I'm supposed to do. If that's your approach, then don't be an elder. If your approach to being an elder is, well, yeah, I want to be part of the decision-making, but I don't really want to get into the trenches and get around messy sheep. I don't really want to talk to people about their sin. I don't want to talk to them about their struggles. I don't want to, you know, constantly know all the negative stuff that everyone's going through. Then don't be a shepherd. Shepherds are nurturers. They take care. That's why there's this idea of feeding the flock. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but intentionally, deliberately, longingly. It is not always safe to be a shepherd, especially to those whom Peter is writing, right? Because if Peter is writing to a church that is experiencing persecution, who are the most visible people in the flock? Who are the people who are first and foremost going to be in the crosshairs? It's the elders. It's the leadership. It is not always safe to be a shepherd. Who has to stand between the wolf and the sheep? The shepherd. Who has to stand between sheep and sheep? The shepherd. Who has to deal with the sheep in the midst of the mud, in in the midst of the dirtiness, and in the midst of all the bad stuff that comes with being a shepherd? Who does that? The shepherd. It is not always safe to be a shepherd. It is dangerous, and it takes courage. And so Peter encourages the shepherds. 
He also says that in exercising oversight in the church, that is not to be done for shameful gain. It is not to be done with a greediness for material gain, is what the the Greek word officially means. Instead, it is to be done eagerly. And the contrast that he's creating here is that a shepherd is one who does not desire to have the sheep meet his needs, but instead he is one who desires to meet the sheep's needs. He is one who is characterized as being a servant rather than being served. I'm pretty sure that Jesus said something just like that in Peter's presence. It is not always natural to be a shepherd. It is not natural to put yourself in harm's way. That's one of the reasons we pray for our first responders, right? It's one of the reasons we pray for our police, that we pray for our, our fire, uh, firemen, that we pray for those who go out uh, and serve the hospitals by driving the ambulance and coming and giving the initial care. This is why we pray for our military. It is not natural to put yourself in front of a loaded gun on behalf of somebody else. It is not natural, and yet that is the work of an elder. There is, it is not natural. What is natural is being self-serving. What is natural is being self-promoting. What is natural is making much of yourself. What is natural is, is taking you know, credit for stuff that maybe wasn't yours to take credit for. See, those are natural things. Standing between someone else, especially when that someone else is a troublemaker for you, but yet a member of the church. Standing between them and the gun. Standing between them and themselves being willing to try to find a gracious way to say, you are being a danger to yourself. You are being a danger to this church. It is not natural to be a shepherd. It is natural to be self-serving and self-promoting, and so it requires considering others more important than yourself. Third, Exercising oversight is not to be domineering over those in your charge, but instead to be examples to the flock. Jesus, once again, said this in front of Peter. Gentiles lord authority over others. Whoever would be great among you, however, must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. One pastor a few years ago made a startling statement. It is amazing how many leadership conferences we have where the one key thing that you will never hear in a leadership conference, how to be a leader in Christ's church, is to learn how to die. You won't hear it. Read leadership books. 
even the ones written by Christians for Christian leaders, what, what you won't see, especially at least you won't see first and foremost is, oh, you're a leader in church, great. Now, are you ready to die? Are you ready to be a servant? Are you ready to be a slave? Are you ready to give up your interests for the interests of others? Exercising leadership in the church is not about domineering authority over people. And that is why, by the way, every time I hear, and I hear about this so often, every time I hear about a church that has heavy-handed leadership, it drives me crazy. Heavy-handed leadership where, where people are pummeled by the leadership where people who are struggling with sin are pummeled for the struggle rather than lifted up, where, where, where the church becomes driven to the point that the first church that I served as a senior pastor, what I was told is that the reason nobody would come and share things with me at first is because everyone had learned in that church that if you share something with an elder, it will be said to the session and then you will be brought up on charges and church discipline will be exercised against you. That's heavy-handed leadership. Let me put it another way. That's Gentile leadership. That is worldly leadership. That is not Christian leadership. I am not saying there's not a place for church discipline. Church discipline is a wonderful thing when it is exercised correctly. But church discipline is about lifting somebody up. It is not about putting someone down or driving someone out. Unless... That is the absolute last case scenario because that person chooses that. Leadership in the church is not to be domineering. And if you think that coming onto the session means, all right, well, now I get to tell people stuff. Now I get to start making decisions for people. Now I get to start telling people when they're right and when they're wrong. Now I get, to, I get to make demands of people to make sure that they're doing what I think they should be doing. Well, guess what that is? That is not what Peter describes as a presbyteros here in this text. That is what Peter describes in 1 Peter 4.15. In 1 Peter 4.15, he warns about someone being an episcopos. Sorry about all the Greek. In 1 Peter 4.15, he says that judgment is coming, but don't let that judgment be upon you as a Christian for murder, for being a thief, for being an evildoer, for being a, in the English it says meddler, mischief maker, troublemaker. Literally in the Greek, it means overseer of everyone. It's a busybody. It's someone who thinks they know best, so they go around trying to micromanage everybody. Now, the, for the Greek nerds, the irony here is that elders in the church throughout the New Testament are often referred to as presbyteros. They are also referred to as episkopos. And so Peter is making a play on the word episkopos. Before he starts dealing with the episkopoi, he deals with those who think that they are. 
those who think that they should be, those who are going around the church getting their hands into everything, getting their voices into everything, thinking that they know better than the leadership or that they know better than someone who has been asked or tasked to do something and that they're just going to come in and they're going to share their brilliance and they're going to share their genius and they're going to take over. And beloved, if you don't think that goes on, then you don't understand what it means to be a church living between the two advents of Christ because I still sin. And you still sin. And quite often that sin is not a purposeful desire to sin. Quite often it's because I think I have a good idea. But I don't run it through scripture. I don't run it by the elders. And I go out and I create unnecessary problems. Not because that was my design. It just happens. It just happens. Not domineering over those in your charge, elders and potential elders, also means that you've got to be ready to have people come and talk with you. Now, that doesn't mean if you come and talk with the elders that they're going to just say, oh, okay, you're right, we're wrong. But elders, it absolutely means that you have to be ready to say, we're wrong. Let's reconsider this. When we get into nominations next year, and you're thinking about who do I want to nominate for elder, if the person you're thinking of can't hear criticism and honestly consider it and be willing to say, I don't know or I was wrong, please don't nominate them because they're not ready. Not domineering those in your charge but instead being an example to the flock if you want your church to see christ then do your utmost in the power of the holy spirit as was prayed just moments ago to reflect christ to embody him to christ's people Bottom line is it's not always great to be a shepherd because it requires of you utmost vulnerability and it requires to you to be absolutely personal and it requires restraint. Most of us, when we hear criticism, we want to attack. The shepherd listens and considers. Doesn't mean you always agree. But you listen, and you consider, and then you try to figure out, what can I do to figure out what is really being said here, what the concern really is, and then try to serve that person and to meet that need. Now, the reality is most of us live with a whole bunch of felt needs, right? Sometimes the felt needs correspond to our actual needs. Sometimes your felt needs don't. But oftentimes your felt need will often give a window into what your actual need is. And the discernment required to be a shepherd in Christ's church is to hear the felt need that is being expressed and see if you can figure out the actual need that it is pointing you to and then try to serve.
But don't expect yourself, if you are an elder, or don't expect the elders to be perfect because we are sinners. And that is why we participate in the confession of sin every week, and that is why we participate in being renewed in the assurance of forgiveness every week. And one of the greatest ways that a shepherd can model Jesus for his church is in modeling an honesty about weaknesses, an honesty about sin, an honesty about mistakes, and asking forgiveness. And I am the absolute worst person to be the one saying that in this pulpit. Because I wish that I was much better at that than I am. But this is what we are called to. And just as the people of God, and by the way, congregation, we get to you next week. So if you're feeling a little good, don't get too comfortable. No, I'm just messing. Be comfortable in Christ. But just as everyday members of the church are motivated to remain faithful to Christ in the midst of suffering, because of the unfading crown of glory that is coming to the elders, to the potential elders, that is your motivation as well. Suffer for Christ now because your suffering will lead to this unfading crown of glory. Beloved, Advent forces this upon us every year that the one who was high and lifted up came low and humbled himself as a path to taking us who are naturally humbled low under our sin and for us to be exalted into his righteousness and to his glory. Let this Advent, as you continue to uh, reflect and as you continue to celebrate Christ and as you continue to anticipate that that second coming, be shaped by this. And beloved, pray this for me. And pray this for our current session. Pray that we will be the kind of shepherds that Peter encourages us to be because this is what you need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. It feels trite saying it that way, but Lord, I just I don't have the words to express in, in a magnanimous fashion how awesome Christ is for us. And so, Lord, through your spirit and through your word, impress Christ deeper and deeper and deeper into our souls and cause us, Lord, to reflect more and more deeply and more clearly on the glory of Christ that is already present for us so that we would be the kind of people, the kind of sheep that you call, but also, Lord, that we would be the kind of elders that you purpose and design for your sheep. And so, Lord, help us to willingly embrace the humility that comes not only with knowing Christ, but particularly with representing Christ to his people. And help us to embrace this eagerly and willingly, not lazily, 
Help us embrace this purposefully and intentionally, not in order to get something, but in order to give something. And help us to do this, Lord, not to be domineering, but to be expressions of our gentle Savior who will not break a broken reed. Oh, Lord, may we manifest that part of Christ. And may the rule that we um, that we lead here within Christ Church be a rule that is marked by those things so that not only your elders but your people, your sheep, will be this embodiment to the world of the humble, gentle, loving Savior that they need, that they are denying and rejecting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.